On this unprecedented time of working from home, we talked to an expert about the book he wrote on working from home. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, my name is Carisha Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers here at Whole Whale. And today you're listening to Using the Whole Whale, Whole Whale's podcast. Today we have Ben Bisbee, a former nonprofiteer. He's been working from home for about five years full time now, and also wrote a book called The Unashamed Guide to Virtual Management. Uh, he's here to give us a little guidance on what exactly is going on these days. Um, so Ben, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good on this virtual afternoon. <laughs> right? Everything these days is virtual. It's the new virtual landscape, whether yeah. we like it or not. Whether we like it or not, we're here. It's here. That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's just dive right in into how you got working from home and kind of any tips or tricks that you use. Um, yeah. That you've been full time. So I, I started my career in the remote slash virtual slash work from home style space um, over a decade ago. I took my first national job at a nonprofit, moved to DC. My job was anchored in a daily office, um, but we were allowed to work remotely and we did when we sort of felt like it essentially. And it was sort of the first experience I ever had both working Uh, I separate out virtual versus remote and work from home as being sometimes three very different things depending on what's going on. So Mm -hmm. I think of remote work, for example, is like you may work with all sorts of people that are also in other offices, but you may never, ever see them, especially Mm -hmm. if you work at a national tech type of organization. You'll sort of see that where you may talk to somebody almost every day, but they are completely across the country. That's to me is like a remote setup. Virtual is you, you are completed and that may be true too but virtual is more like you're virtual and everything you do is virtual is unanchored. And then work from home is you may work from home virtually, but you may not, right. You may have like a completely separate office, a WeWork style or something you pay for and, and you still are remote or virtual, but you're not obviously um, working from home. Cause I think work from home is very different in some ways. So I started essentially like virtual remote mm. <laughs> and then um Took a couple other jobs in between uh, before I landed a, another large national nonprofit job uh, where I was the head of something for the entire organization nationwide. And that changed the game entirely for me. I worked partially from home, partially in the office, but pretty much everyone I worked with on a day-to-day basis was for me remote. Um, mm-hmm. They worked out of maybe a brick and mortar, maybe they were from home, I have no idea. But I never met 90% of everyone I worked with for five years wow. um, and worked with them constantly, consistently. And so all those up until about five years ago, when I went full-time working from home, remote, uh, virtual, (laughs) has been um, really eye-opening. And like, really, I cut my teeth in those spaces, which was just interesting of like, how to, you know, I think we all think that like, as long as you're anchored in in a cubicle, it's easy, but it's like, no, we all actually work in this capacity more than we even think about because we often work with people we don't know and don't see. And so it creates those environments all the time. But so, yeah, for me, it's been about 12, 13 years or so. Yeah. And I love that distinction that you made about remote versus work from home versus virtual, because I think people have worked remotely, work from home, you know, if you're on the agency side, working with clients. But I think this new virtual world is something that's really different and has people kind of a little shook in their boots. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you think are some of the bigger fears that people have when moving to a more virtual space? I, you know, it's interesting, right? So I would say there's like two that always come to mind. And then there's a third new one that we're all facing Mm. with the work from home thing. I think the first thing that always comes to mind is if you're on the managerial side of the house, your fears are usually either thinking like, "Uh, can I manage people effectively if I can't see them all the time? Mm. And if they're like outside of my scope of, of sight. And then also the idea of like, well, my people work as well. Uh, if I can't see them, will they be effective uh, workers when they're not necessarily um, tethered to the idea of a cubicle? And I think for workers, it's similar, right? It's like you're thinking like, how am I being evaluated, graded, um, supported effectively when I'm not, I can't just like walk over to IT or I can't walk over to my boss's office and ask for something or whatever the case may be. 
And then also I think there's beyond like the general like um, sort of pragmatic concern, there's the general concern of like, will I be misevaluated? Will, if I don't look like I'm always doing something, if I can't somehow showcase an eight hours worth of something that I'm doing, am I going to be seen as somebody who like isn't an effective contributor when mm-hmm. I'm not in the office, right? And what's really compounded this is that third thing I referenced, which is almost everyone right now in a lot of ways are working from home, which, you know, it's one thing like me who I have no children and I work from home. My husband works from home and we both have built that life intentionally for the past five years. That was by design. That was our goal. And so we've, we have like a dedicated office with a bathroom and a door that locks and, and we, you know, we have a whole setup for how we handle conferences separately and together. And we don't actually work together, but I mean, separately or when we're in the same space together, whatever. But if you're like being like forced right under this new condition to like work from home and you have children in the house or pets in the house and aren't used to you being there, or just you don't have a setup for this, like it's not, you're working from your, you know dining room table or from your kitchen table or from like your couch, it's a completely different set of anxieties that I think people deal with in terms of just how to navigate this. You know, should I do a load of laundry? Should I not? If I Mm -hmm. do, what does that look like? Should I take lunch? Should I eat at my new desk? And, and so I think what's really complicated now, not to like convolute my answer against your very simple question is just that I think like right now today, you know, sort of end of middle to end of March is like, there's a lot of different types of um, concerns and swells of worry and ways that people are reacting that look like a lot of different things. I think the one thing that's interesting to watch as somebody who's been involved in this professionally and have written about this subject and so forth is that no one gets to get out of it. So we're all just having to like push through it. We're all just having to kind of like, you know, you, you kind of have to learn to surf um, or learn to swim in this space. You can't just like let the waves just keep pushing back at you. It's a completely different experience now, um, which I think is interesting because I think for what it's worth, it's going to sharpen our knives, which is good. But yeah, those are the things I think, people, you know, am I doing well? Do people see it that way? Can I support people effectively? And like, oh no, how do I make this work in my house? I think are yeah. the biggest concerns. Yeah. And I think the three things that you mentioned, like from the managerial side, from the more worker side, and even from just figuring out how do I work, actually work from home, sum up the fears pretty well. Um, and I like to touch on all three of those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess you can start with the more managerial side of things. Um, and I think you bring up an interesting point of if I were a manager managing, say, a team of like 10, how do I be an effective manager? How can I know that my team is working effectively if I can't see them, if I can't see that they're at their desk doing their work, um, going over to different departments, asking different questions. How do you think managers can overcome in a way, but also kind of get over that hump of not needing to be at the desk in your cubicle, seeing your team? Yeah, this is an interesting one, right? So I advise on this a decent amount professionally. And I, you know, I usually tell people like, there's a lot of great managers out there that would argue to the teeth that they don't micromanage. And then they find themselves in a situation like this and they realize they micromanage more by design than they ever realized. They don't think Mm -hmm. of it that way. So the minute they can't see their folks, they start to say to themselves like, oh, do I know if they're going to do their work? That's a form of mental micromanagement that you Mm -hmm. even have that thought. Um, If you really essentially have, unless it's in a mentorship type quality and you've hired people to groom them and to give them a lot of hands-on support, which is normal and, and the case yeah. for a lot of folks, unless that's really what's happening, if your first thought with more than half of your staff or any of your staff is, will I feel confident that they're going to do their work, you hired wrong. Um, I can't express that enough, right? Like you hired wrong when you're sick, you hired wrong when you take vacation, you hire, you know, however you want to frame when you're out of the office, quote unquote. And it just, in this case, you're not out of the office. You're just not all in the office together. You hired wrong. That's hard for people to grapple with. And I think what that typically means, like you can't now fire them unless they're actually not doing their job. So, so what really happens, I think is people have to sit back down and kind of take stock of, what is really important when it comes to their oversight and what their team's responsibilities are collectively and individually. So like it becomes way more about objectives and outcomes than ever before than it does about this idea of what goes into everything. Um, 
you have to trust that people know what goes into it and that you're going to guide them when they need it. And you're not going to have to when you, they don't. Um, and you're going to have to pay more attention to the idea of like, what am I supposed to be seeing that showcases people are working? I think what's interesting is that there's a lot of folks that when they, depending on their style, their style of operation, will find that you don't always have those kinds of things in place. Not everyone's using like a technological platform, like a Salesforce or an Asana or whatever the case may be to sort of show for work. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to look and see based on everybody's, ex, you know, what their role is, like what are those implied outcomes that I would need to be experiencing or seeing or that somebody would need to be seeing or experiencing? And then how do I make sure that I can both see it and then account for it as opposed to feeling like I silently have to be worrying or projecting that work isn't getting done, right? And so in a lot of ways, like I wish there was a simple answer. Like I wish I could just sort of say like, here are the two tips. I think that, but I will say for what it's worth, part of it is like taking stock, you know, making, understand you understand what people need to be focused on and what that looks like to sort of show that they are. And then, and I, and people aren't going to like this, but like you have to actually trust your people implicitly. Mm. And then as a manager, like here's the best news that anyone can hear, but no one wants to hear it from my perspective. You just have to trust your people. You have to trust that you made good decisions with your hiring and they're going to make good decisions in their employment. And if you get to a point where that's not true, where unfortunately they are not able to perform, um, you then have to manage for real. You then have to actually intervene in that experience and say, what do you need to be better at your job? Because you're not doing well, because I can tell, I can see it. Or, um, hey, you've you've been given everything you need and it's still not working. And so this just might not be a good environment for you for what it's worth, right? Or you have to be lenient and know that there's some people who were not built to work from home Mm -hmm. and they have to be given certain provisions to allow them to ride this out as best they can and still perform the best they can until it's all over, right? And everyone gets to go Mm -hmm. back to their cube. But that's where the real management lives for me is where like you had to trust them like you would theoretically, but now not theoretically. And then (laughs) if something bad happens, step in like you would as a proper manager, you know, not the, and then you re again, this is that moment where like somebody goes, Oh man, I think I really was a micromanager. I never saw it that way. And you're like, (laughs) yeah, right. Like, you know, and I think, I think this will help unpin some of that for folks, but also it's going to cause a lot of anxiety for managers, unfortunately. I think those are the best things people can do is just trust in the process and make sure that you understand what people are really supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the realest answer <laughs> I think anybody could have given. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's hard. I, I will say, you know, this is um, one of the things that I've said, I said it in the book, I've said it uh, a lot of times is that like good technology won't save bad management. Mm. And it's this idea, you know, people are intentionally moving to a remote virtual world managerially when this is something that's by design and that's what they're choosing to do. There's sometimes this belief system, like if I have the best technology and the most effective technology and whatever the case may be, then like by proxy, everything will work smoothly. And it's like, nope, management still exists. Uh, management is a separate construct from the tech. Right. The tech has to be managed itself independently mm-hmm. from the way in which people then use the tech and people are managed using the tech. And so in a lot of ways, this doesn't make your life easier or harder theoretically, it just puts your management to a different test that maybe you've never experienced before. Yeah. And I like that you said that just because there's all these technologies like Slack or Asana or whatever else doesn't mean that it's going to make it any easier. You know, you still have to be the one to make sure that everyone is using this technology correctly and that everything is being logged correctly. Um, And I think that's a very good point as people kind of look to these things these technologies as the saving grace, you know? Yeah. I wish it was that simple. It'd be so cool for that. And I think a lot of tech companies (laughs) rely on the idea that it is right. That's part of the selling point. But I mean, how many times have we seen somebody clean off a dining room table and then the commercial shows that their whole life has gotten perfectly wonderful in 30 seconds Mm. of cleaning the dining room table. It's the (laughs) same way marketing works in all those ways. It's nothing against the tech companies, they're built to look like they're making your life easier in some ways. They are, but it doesn't actually make your management better. Mm. Yeah. And I'd like to step back to the virtual management system and thinking about these technologies as part of your new management style. A lot of people have kind of been pushed and forced into this new virtual remote land that we're now experiencing. So how do you build the virtual management system 
after this kind of trip, stumble and fall into working virtually? Yeah, I, so this is really great, right? Like, cause I think this answer is a good one because it doesn't have to be tech specific. Um, mm -hmm. I talk a lot about being sort of like tech um, I'm always tech adjacent conversationally. I don't, people, I'm the wrong guy to come to if you want to talk about the specifics of very specific types of tech brands. I'm a good one to talk about the eight different types of technologies we use in the workplace, right? Mm. But I'm the bad one to talk about like, should I use blank or blank? I think the thing is, is that one of the things that managers and staff and, and employers and everybody has to do is take stock of the technologies they have at their fingertips already mm. and the ones that they're willing to take some gambles on in the meantime. So everyone probably is using some form of really effective email system, whatever it looks like. And it probably comes with some bells and whistles. There may be some video casting that comes with it, some messaging that comes with it, um, some document storage that comes with it. They probably have some document storage systems. Um, they probably, that they're already using an intranet, perhaps an internet, of course, um, that everyone has access to the company's website and all these different things, right? And I think part of this is one of the best things people can kind of do is uh, at a leadership level is take stock of all the different tech and kind of develop almost what looks kind of like a like a little pseudo dictionary or a little glossary that sort of says like, hey, here's how we're gonna use or not use the email system in this time. Here's how we are or are not gonna use this in this time. Here's how we're gonna start to convene meetings using this tech exclusively, using like, you know, we're all gonna go on video. We're not gonna go on video. We're gonna all use this conference line moving forward. Um, and just, it's like, it's little things, right? Like that just sounds like a, yeah, duh. But I think when you're in a traditional stationary experience, you can always kind of go back um, to things and kind of reference things and everyone kind of, you know, climbs into a, a conference room or they don't. Or in this case, it's like the best thing you can do is just standardize and normalize things. And so it's like, here's the conference line. Here's how we're going to use this meeting. This meeting is on camera. This meeting is not. Mm -hmm. Use email for this. Don't use email for this. Um, and I, I usually encourage people too to like, especially in these kinds of environments, use phone more. Yeah. Um, call somebody real quick as opposed to an email just to have that social interaction. And I think companies should be promoting that as well as part of the new norm, which is just saying, hey, use the phone a little more. Client is an email. Um, remind people not to reply all, for example. But part of this is like, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about the stacking, the idea of stacking your tech. And this is where I sort of say like, the first thing you have to do first is like sort your stack. <laughs> so like, Outline what everything is going to be used for. Like, so people sort of understand that like you shouldn't be communicating in ways that weren't designed. Like we shouldn't be having like meetings mm. via chat um, mm -hmm. just because we could. I've seen that as like, where groups will like all kind of pile in. Like they're almost like they're using Slack, but they're not using Slack. Um, it's fine <laughs> if you're using Slack, yeah. but they're doing Slack-ish where they're all kind of like nine people will have like a communicative meeting. They're like, let's just all have it here in the chat. And it's like, no, oh. let's. That idea. Uh, like that's what I mean by sorting the stack before mm -hmm. you stack it is like define what you're going to use things for and what you're not. So yeah. that way people aren't being caught off guard and sort of reestablish how people need to be communicating effectively. Mm -hmm. And again, like I've always been saying for years, you know, video is king um, or yeah. queen, depending on your liking, but video is the, the top of the top. And so, you know, if you don't have to have a conference call and instead you're going to have a video call, have a video call. Mm -hmm. um, it's so important to kind of figure this stuff out. And yeah, so that's a piece of it, I think, is just the idea that people should be like just taking stock first and foremost and really appreciating what's sort of out there. And then the second piece, which I'll be much briefer on, but like the second piece is like, <laughs> then ask everybody where they're at with everything. Yeah. So like, just take a minute and ask your team, ask your staff, ask whatever, like how comfortable are you with all of this? Like mm -hmm. do a one to five scale, one mm -hmm. being the least, five being most, and just simply like look where everyone kind of vets out. And then you can say, hey, we did a quick thing. A lot of people have fallen in three when it comes to video conferencing. So we're going to do some early video conferencing trials before we get into like the firmness of it. We're going to do like a little happy hour to start with just mm -hmm. to get people comfortable before we get into a formal meeting set up. And during that happy hour, we're going to highlight all the ways to think about best using your video conferencing system mm. and how you should frame things, la, la, la. And so like give people a chance to actually like openly, but like just in a disclosed thoughtful way saying like, eh, I'm not real comfortable on this. We're like, great. We saw a bunch of you aren't comfortable with this. So we're going to offer education and support yeah. or just assume that a lot of people won't tell you. So just offer that education and support. I mean, there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with mandating a training off of something everyone's expected to use. Yeah. There's never harm in that. And people think they're going to offend somebody. It's like, 
you know what, in a, in a place where you're paying me, I'll be slightly offended to make sure that I don't do something wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think you know. I love that of really meeting people where they are, you know, because like you said earlier, when we talked about managing virtually, if someone isn't up to the standard that they're expected to be at now, what could you have done to prevent that in the beginning? Was it having a training? Was it making sure they have all the technologies that they need? Is it making sure that they have a good internet connection? All of these different kinds of things all add up to having an efficient and effective environment and staff and team. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, We really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Yep. And giving people a chance to just get used to something and not expect everyone to be great at it right away or yourself. I think at the managerial level, you know, there's that all of a sudden you're in this territory where you have a few staff members that know a lot more than you do about the technology that you Mm -hmm. quote unquote theoretically taught them. Mm -hmm. And so it's like lean on them. This is a great chance to offer other leadership opportunities, lean on somebody else to offer an overview. Um, you know, depend on them to help answer questions so you're not fielding everything on your own. And so, but moreover, like get comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, I've said forever, like all management's change management, uh, if you really look at it closely. And so it's the same thing here, where it's just like be uncomfortable being slightly uncomfortable, have some humility, um, have some ability to sort of have some empathy and, and be able to say things like, I know we're all, we all feel like we're on fire. Oh, I know we're all stressed, right? I think there's this idea that leadership has to always imply this, this sort of sense of like um, the calm, gentle, giant, you know, superhero effect. And it's like, no, sometimes there's something really powerful about being on a conference call in the middle of it and go, okay, I know this is going terribly for everybody, including <laughs> myself. We're going to get it better next time. We're going to still get through the rest of this call. We're going, to, going to, we're going to compile some thoughts and notes to send everybody at the end of it. And then the next one will hopefully be better. And by the third or fourth, guys, we will have forgotten about how terrible this first one was. <laughs> right. and, 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 like, and just all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, yeah, we're all human. You're human. I'm human. Okay, good. This wasn't just me. But I've watched so many people try to tough it out and act like everything's cool. And it's like, it's not cool. You're making it worse. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love all of those tips. And I think even going to the flip side of being like part of the team, being part of the staff and navigating this new virtual remote life that we're now forced to be in. um, Do you have any tips or tricks or even thoughts on how working now virtually can look like? Like generally? Um, yeah. yeah, I, I, you know, I, there's usually like a, a, a quick top five. I usually give folks, um, mm-hmm. especially like if they're on the, the employee side, one is like, find your real space in your home. That mm-hmm. is going to be where you consider work to be taking place and keep mm-hmm. it consistent. Don't keep moving your laptop around because you have a laptop. Don't keep moving mm-hmm. it to the couch and then moving it to the dead, you know, um, find a place that's comfortable enough. And so that way, when you're done working, um, you can be done working and you can kind of leave that space. Even if it's just like a one specific corner of your dining room table, make it always the same consistent corner of your dining room table. Mm-hmm. And then when you kind of close the shop, you can. Because one of the things that nobody tells you when you work for a while, especially at home or online, is that, you know, there's this like joke uh, where, you know, when you work from home, you work at your home, which is where you work, which is where you live, which is where you work, which is where you live. <laughs> and so it's a never ending cycle of chaos where you're like, and then you're like answering emails at three in the morning, right? Because you're up and that's insane. Nobody wants that. Um, and so, you know, be really mindful about like packing your work into a space where that way when you are not working, you can sort of be away from work theoretically. Yeah. The second thing I tell people all the time is like eat lunch. I know it sounds so stupid, but like <laughs> actually eat lunch. Uh, and yeah. it's, you know, go take a walk around your block um, and like eat a wrap or whatever or eat a salad. Like who cares? Um, get away for 20, 30 minutes, an hour. If you got it, like don't work during that lunchtime when you're working from home, it's so important to eat. Cause like what'll happen is um, when you work from home is either you forget to eat entirely or you eat constantly. Yeah. Um, there's like, no in between. So like you have to schedule lunch yeah. and then 
you have to literally take it and take it away from where you're working. Um, mm-hmm. So if it's at your dining room table, now go eat lunch on your couch mm-hmm. um, and get away from work for a second. Because otherwise, like you're at your workstation all day, which is really exhausting, right? Yeah. Um, the third thing is like, when you're working from home, it's okay to plan for home-like things. Meaning mm-hmm. like, it's okay to, if you're going to normally go out and take like a five minute break to do something, to go drop a quick load of laundry in the wash. It's okay to like, you know, um, to scan the news a little bit of what's going mm-hmm. on. It's okay to like make a call to a loved one, uh, to a coworker, just a vent, just to see yeah. what's up. Like, don't lose, like, you don't actually have to be so, you weren't at work, you weren't, you were going to cubicles and chatting with people over the wall and mm. you're going to the water cooler and you're going to the break room and you're walking down to the magazine counter and, you know, you're doing these things, you're going out for a milkshake and so, like, one would hope. And <laughs> ultimately, like, the idea is just, like, don't lose sight of the fact that, you know, you don't, and nobody needs to be the wiser for the record, just so it's clear, like, that 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 third tip in particular, like, mm-hmm. you don't have be like I just went and did some laundry like no just like you don't need to announce the whole floor that you're going to get a milkshake I mean because then you get everyone milkshake for the record so just like go get your milkshake go down and get a magazine go take a smoke break you know whatever whatever go just do a quick like go put in a quick load of laundry and be done with it and then like fold it on your next conference call or whatever you know what I mean? right so like the fourth thing which is more practical is like okay this is the time for tutorials this is the yeah. time where you need to like it doesn't hurt to look at a video tutorial. It doesn't hurt to take, that's your work now. So carve out 30 minutes a day if you have it to learn a little bit more about the systems that you're using, to learn a few tricks around the video or messaging systems you're using, to learn a little bit about the email you're using. I tell people all the time in the managerial space, if you're one of those people that kind of work around the clock, if there's an email that you're sending out 9, 10, 11, uh, of the standard time that you're working in typically, God forbid anything past that. And it can wait till seven in the morning for your team. Put in it as a timed email launch. So in, mm-hmm. I will have manager after manager say, what do you mean a timed email launch? Mm-hmm. You can time your emails to be sent at a certain time, just like you can with social media. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, Google it, super easy. And so next time you're sending an email out at three in the morning because you're awake, nobody wants, we're all tied to our phones. Nobody wants to get that three o'clock email from their boss. Like, And it's just dumb and can wait till seven o'clock. Have it set up to be scheduled. Write all the emails, your little heart desires all night long if you want, mm-hmm. but then set them up to be emailed, right? So that's a tutorial thing that you can kind of learn. Mm-hmm. So like, look, you know, look at your tech and learn a few things that you can actually kind of learn. And then the fifth thing, which is just, if it's possible, mm-hmm. figure out either a time frame or a timeline in the day where you aren't working anymore because mm-hmm. it's going to get hard. So yeah. you're done at five or you're done from five to nine, then you'll, quickly look at email again. Um, or, you know, you're not looking at email again until the morning after six o'clock or whatever the case may be, but, mm-hmm. you know, have a, a thoughtful conversation with your boss, with your company saying, Hey, um, can we talk about this? Can we right. determine a time? Not everyone can benefit from that. There's people that are going to be listening to this that are saying like, oh, I wish I could benefit from that. But I also think there's people that are listening to this, that maybe the third, their first thought is, oh, I probably couldn't make that happen. But like, if there's ever a time to introduce it to a manager, to a supervisor, or up into the universe of the culture of your business, now's the time to say, hey, when can we all argue is like a great time to kind of be off your phone or be off your mm-hmm. computer, unless you've got like a massive deadline or something to be working on otherwise. So yeah. we, nobody has to feel weird that like, huh, I sent this email at seven o'clock and John isn't getting back to me. Mm. Um, and I just... When you work from home, it's your home, it's your work, it's your home, it's your work. And it's like, we get, we lose sight of that. So all of a sudden, one of the worst things that happened, if you didn't do this by design, if this wasn't your choice, if this isn't a company that was built off the idea of a virtual platform, and they usually have all these thoughts and these rules and these policies in place, you'll get in that situation where people just think you're going to respond anytime because you're always at work. Mm-hmm. And it's bad. So those are like the, the five little tips I think are the most practical when people are starting out. Yeah. And I think that talks a lot to, I guess, this crisis that everybody who's working from home now is now facing, which is how do you separate work from home? You know, not only in the spaces that we occupy in our houses, but also in our own psyches, you know, like you said, if John is sending me an email at seven, what reason do I have to not answer this email at 7.30? Yeah. So as and you- And all of a sudden you're trapped in the cycle. It's, it's, that's not fun. Yeah, work is home, 
home is work. Life is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Up is down. Black is white. It gets crazy. Yeah. So since you've been working home full time for a couple of years now, how do you personally kind of disjoin the two? It's hard. I'm a workaholic. I mean, it's worth mentioning. Anyone that knows me that's going to listen to this is going to be like, well, Ben's a workaholic. Um, I am pretty good um, at trying to give myself a pretty solid break between um, five and eight. So I try very hard to do like no work if possible between five and eight. And then I may pick back up and just kind of look and make sure there's nothing I need to kind of jump on. Um, that's something I've been doing for a while. That's been pretty new. I have a dedicated office, obviously. A lot of the tips that I'm offering are things that have really worked for me. I think beyond that, though, that sort of next level things is. Um, I've just gotten really good at, at kind of prioritizing a lot of things. Like, so one of the things that I do that's really well too, is I think in a classic setting, we forget that like, we'll plan an hour meeting, uh, which is like, you know, if you take sort of a step backwards, like the idea of devoting an hour to something that's sort of generally arbitrary in yeah. theory. Um, it's, but we do it partially because we know that the first like five to seven minutes are going to be people all getting there to begin with, unless you're one of those like tight shit places, which, you know, God bless you if you are, but I don't think that's, normal for most folks, especially in the nonprofit sector. So it's like, you know, you're, those first five to seven minutes, everybody like finally getting in there and getting started and just kind of like, oh, how was your weekend? How was your weekend? And then like the last five or seven minutes, maybe 10 minutes is like a lot of like thoughts and wrap up and whatever. So I've gotten really good at determining what warrants just a 15 minute call and mm -hmm. only scheduling for 15 minutes. And then if something carries over, then we schedule another 15 later or a 30 later, right? Mm -hmm. Or giving the other person a chance to fight for a 30 when I schedule a 15. Mm. Um, I've really learned that like most, unless you're working with more than like five or six people, most things can be done in about 15 minutes, really, right? Unless you're doing like a big, long debrief or a big, long introduction. And then also like really weighing the value of like, maybe this should be a 45 minute, not an hour. And mm. like, what is the value of carving out 15 minutes to not be in that space doing that thing? How does that speed up the agenda? How does that speed up our thought process? How does that speed up the place? I think the other thing that's really important too, um, that's like, that I've learned that's really interesting with this is um, I try to be more sensitive to the extroverts versus the introverts of the world in a virtual space because, um, I'm laughing because I, I have to, I, I sometimes am very mindful about what comes out of my mouth. My brain and my mouth don't always agree with each other about how it comes out <laughs> when. Like, I think um, it's really, really, really easy for um, introverts to like duck and weave and bob and hide um, mm -hmm. in a virtual world, which is great, I guess, theoretically. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but then it's also really, really, really easy for the extroverts to like command everything. Mm -hmm. um, and not duck and weave and bob, but instead like run forward as fast as they can. And like at least the introverts want to be like, well, it's not like you duck and weave in a part. The um, extroverts are like, oh, I didn't know there was an introvert on the call. Exactly. So um, I think it's something about being mindful too of like restructuring. I've learned how to restructure mm -hmm. things in this world when I'm having meetings and other things where I'm making sure everyone has a chance to speak. Um, so making room for that, like yeah. making sure to kind of go around and sort of just making sure everyone has a chance to contribute. Um, not at every single turn at every single process, but somewhere at least making sure at least once, like everyone has a chance and their name is called out to contribute a thought or what have you. If they don't have one, great, but that wasn't because they were ignored or that people forgot they were even on, on the mm. call. Um, so yeah, for me, like I've just learned a bunch of really weird tricks that have kind of helped me navigate this a little bit differently. So we don't lose sight of people. And so I don't lose sight of myself. Yeah. I keep track of my own time. Um, and I'm not going crazy. And I always joke um, that like um, pants aren't necessary, um, <laughs> but shirts are. I can't stress that enough. Um, and so, you know, there's, you get a lot of people out there saying like, make sure you always get up and get showered and wear pants. Eh, well, look, when you get showered is up to you, but um, you know, you probably should shower every day if you can. <laughs> but like pants is, pants is optional in the world. You got to take some liberties, right? You got to take some liberties. Pants is optional. Um, and you should, you should be wearing something, but ultimately like shirts are not optional as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. That's definitely. That's on the, on the, on the, <laughs> so I think, I guess one of the more golden questions is, do you think every employee is suited for working at home? No, no. And you know, what's funny that gets brought up all the time where there's like this idea of like the, there's this, uh, this, this theory that like virtual employment is going to be the future of employment. I say like, no, not for everybody. First of all, there's a lot of rules as we've learned. I mean, we've learned in a really really intense way what's yeah. considered essential and what can't be virtualized, 
right? Something or somebody is going to have to like, you know, if it's, if, if a robot's bringing you your food, somebody had to tune that robot, right? We're not at a stage in our lives where we can, everything is done through some other process that's not human. Mm. So one, there's just so many roles out there um, that are not even suitable for the virtual and remote. It's still very, it's still in probably for a very long time going to be a white collar environment for sure. And then I think the other side is just like, yeah, there's a lot of people that would never want this and are going to learn definitively that they didn't and never want to go back to it. I mean, there's people that want that human interaction and, and crave it and desire it and it makes them feel whole and yeah. rightfully so. Um, and want to have like a space where they drive to every day and drive from every day when they go home. And yeah, it's, it's not for everybody and it shouldn't have to be. And I think that was, that's sort of my point earlier too. Like if you're a manager, you're going to have um, some people who are going to really struggle. Um, this is going to be hard for them. And the best thing you can do is recognize that and give them as much rope as possible, not to hang themselves, but to slowly double dutch and slowly mm -hmm. braid it into something of value and be very thoughtful um, and not frustrated that this wasn't something, you know, if you hired somebody for a virtual role and they don't succeed and they're not succeeding, that's different. If you're in this world now where you're having to work remote because we're trying to keep each other healthy and safe and somebody's really struggling for any number of reasons, um, it doesn't have to be because they're watching their children. It doesn't have to be because they don't have the best technology. It doesn't have to be because they don't have good internet. It just be because they're just really uncomfortable with this entire thing. Right. And um, anxiety aside and frustration aside and global worry aside, they're just really uncomfortable with this working dynamic in the virtual space. You know, be sensitive to that and, and find out what they need to make that work. Um, you know, don't, you can't let everyone, you know, we got to shift. Like everyone really does have to like, we, on both sides, we have to make concessions all the way around. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying like, you know, give everyone all the leeway possible, but I am saying that you know, we have to be mindful that like, yeah, this is not for everybody yeah. in any way, shape or form. And that's really, really okay. I do think we're going to learn that it's for a lot more people than we thought on mm -hmm. both sides of the equation. I think a much larger portion of people that didn't think they would want it or could cut it and didn't think they could manage it or support it are going to learn real fast that they can, that they could, and they will. Mm. I guess work from home Fridays are a thing of the future. <laughs> At the bare minimum, right? <laughs> I think work from home Mondays are so much better than work from home Fridays. Hmm. I think there's something about not having to get into the office on a Monday hmm. as opposed to getting out of the office on a Friday. Yeah, I feel that. I think work from home Mondays are so much more fun, theoretically. But I get why we do the Friday thing, because we always think of Friday as part of the weekend. So in our minds, we're like, well, yeah. you know. It's like <laughs> um, the Monday after the Super Bowl. No one's really paying attention to what's going on that day. Except for thinking about the Super Bowl yesterday. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. In high school, I used to say, um, Thursday is new Friday, and Friday I just choose to be here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And if you're, you know, if you're slow enough, Tuesday's the new Monday, you know, mm. just depends on the day. Work from home Mondays, maybe. That's right. <laughs> That's the, it'll be the new norm. Awesome. Thanks so much for answering all of our questions about work from home. Yeah. Um, and navigating our new virtual remote work from home, whatever you may call it world. <laughs> yeah. I think more than ever, we just have to be really honest with each other. You know, I, I've always been known for being really um, blunt about things. And I think, um, it's time where we all have to be a little more upfront with each other about everything and just be really honest when we're struggling or where we're succeeding. And when we're succeeding, share those successes and see if we can replicate them. And where we're struggling, share them so we can all benefit from not feeling alone. I just think this is more than ever. This is the, one of those times when if you've struggled with honesty, you're going to struggle harder than ever before in this environment. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to, it's way harder to hide virtually than people think it is. It just is. It's harder to hide. The work either does or doesn't happen. And then how do you show for any of it if it's not happening? Mm. It's complicated. Um, so, you know, at least if you go into work every day and people see you at your desk, people say, well, he's here, right? He's here. I don't see him on Facebook all day. Virtually, it's a little bit different. So if you really are not getting the work done, it shows itself pretty quick. Mm. And then there's really no place to hide. Um, yeah. So I, this is the time where people are uncomfortable no matter what city, where they're sitting in the org. It's a really good time to be open and honest about it. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. It's a, I like talking about it um, in a lot of ways because I feel like I get all sides of it. I really struggled at my first job. I joked that um, I felt like someone totally 
pushed me out of the phone booth and I no longer was Superman. Um, <laughs> I really had an interpersonal style with people and it worked for a long time in my career. And then when I went remote for the first time, my first national nonprofit, I couldn't like look people in the eyes. I couldn't, all the people I worked with were all everywhere across the country. And um, I was um, really hampered at first. It really threw me. I had to relearn my skills for feeling like I could connect with people. And it took some time. It was not, it wasn't slow, but it wasn't fast. I didn't like, you know, overnight it in a couple of days. I had to relearn how to like feel like I could emote differently on a phone call in a way that had the same reaction than when I could like put people in the eyes in person. And mm. uh, yeah, it was, it took some time. So like for everybody out there that's thinking like, you know, who needs advice from a guy who's been doing this for 13 years? Like I, I struggled too. <laughs> and I did this by design. I went into this job knowing I was excited to do something like this. And yeah. then the first you know, two to three months, it wasn't about three months in that I finally felt like I'd figured it out. And I finally felt like it was normal and it was really, really good. So, and again, it was by design. Um, so for those of you that are thinking like, when is it going to feel normal? Not for a little bit. And that's like really, really, really okay. Just work at it. Yeah. And I think that normalcy is what a lot of people are struggling with like okay we're here two weeks work from home next week we'll go back and then now we're here a month work from home next week we'll go back um so just really embracing this new kind of change that we're experiencing i think is yeah it'll make you a better communicator period it can't not i mean it really will you are learning whether you realize not how to communicate across multiple platforms with the idea of being successful that in a modern, in a, in a 2020 perspective, I think we all thought they're gonna be flying cars and these <laughs> hand servant robots and yeah, yeah. But what really is gonna happen, we're gonna learn is that 2020 is gonna be the year where we all learn how to be really effective communicators in all forms of media. And to be honest, I think we thought we were fine and now we know that we're not. And mm-hmm. so one of the best things that's ever gonna happen is we're gonna modernize real fast when it comes to that. We're gonna learn, you know, we think of ourselves as communicative um, creatures above every other creature. We think of ourselves as being, you know, the height of communication. We write, we have poetry, we, you know, we rap, we do all these things and no other animals or any other creatures do this. And here we are struggling essentially with communication. Right. And so this is going to be a cool year. Cause I think we're all going to come out of this. Even if we struggled, even if we suffered a little bit, we're all going to come out of this better. We're going to be better forms of who we thought we were good at. And that's on the communicative side, especially. Um, and that to me is a powerful takeaway. That to me is something that makes me go, yeah, it'll be okay. This is a knife that will get sharpened. And mm-hmm. if for no other reason, if we go back to how it was before, theoretically, back into the brick and mortar, back into the cubicle, we will actually be better communicators than we ever were before. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a great part to segue into our rapid fire round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rapid fire. <laughs> So rapid fire is my favorite part of any episode. Um, I have a list of about 10 questions um, and you have about 30 seconds or so to respond. Perfect. Uh, ready to go? I'm ready. I really, I really can't be pithy, I swear. <laughs> All right, let's see. Um, what's one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? Um, Zoom. I think Zoom is fantastic. It's free for most folks. It's strong. It's powerful. It's simple. It's my favorite. Yeah, I love Zoom, so totally get you there. Yeah. Um, any tech issues you're battling with? Um, I I battle when other people don't know how to frame their cameras. So I think like the best thing you can do is just like head on, like it's don't treat it like a selfie. So don't do that weird high thing. Don't try to show your cheekbone. Just do head on and make sure your lighting is diffused nicely. And that's the one I'm struggling with. Otherwise, I'm pretty good with when it comes to other technologies. Yeah, I like that. Zoom calls are not Instagram. <laughs> no. What's something coming in the next year that you're most excited about? I think we're going to see a huge jump in tech because I think people now are going to be ready for it by design. So I think we're going to see increases in the way in which um, video technology even is going to start working. I think we start to see some small peaks, like when you can blur behind you and stuff like mm-hmm. Microsoft has done. But I think we're going to see bigger advances because now more people are using it and they'll, it'll feel worn. Yeah. Can you talk about a mistake you made early in your career that shapes the way you do things now? Yeah, um, really early on, I um, did not really fully grasp time zones the way I thought. So when I worked at my first national nonprofit job in DC, um, I w- was uh, conversing real quick um, with a group of coworkers and complaining that people were emailing me at eight o'clock at night. And then somebody said, well, it's probably your West Coasters, right? And I was like, 
oh, mm-hmm. it was my West Coasters. Um, <laughs> and so I it looked like in front of all my peers, like a complete idiot who was like in his 30s, not knowing how basically time zones worked um, and thinking that I was being emailed, quote unquote, after eight o'clock when in reality it was just around five for them. So yeah, that was that was fun. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business? Do I, what was that? Do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business? Yeah, successfully go out of business? Mm-hmm. Like auto dissolve, like choose to dissolve? Yeah, I, I actually have helped dissolve two nonprofits successfully by design. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think they just need to understand who still benefits and how other people will absorb those resources or how they're no longer benefiting the community and how to then very thoughtfully dissolve themselves effectively. Mm-hmm. Let's just say you had a hot tub time machine back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself, be more patient with myself because uh, I wasn't at first and I told a pretty story, but the truth was that I was really mad at myself. Um, and I would tell myself again, to be more thoughtful around the tutorials. Like I suggested, that was a lesson I learned myself later that, that I needed to, that the, um, my suffering was cured through education mm. and I didn't see that for a while. Hmm. Insightful. What's something you or your organization should stop doing? I think organizations should stop making everything about email and conference calls to begin with. I think we are so reliant on those two mediums. We think everything is an email or everything is a conference call. Yeah. Um, so much so that, the, you know, the joke is that like it should have been a meeting or a conference call. That's how literal we've taken it. Yeah. I think we have just got to learn to be more comfortable with a variety of different types of medium, including video. Mm-hmm. Let's also just say you had a Harry Potter wand for your industry. What would it do? Oh, God. I think it would make managers in particular more aware of where they need to grow and not Mm. just where they need to manage. Mm. I think management is a verb and a noun. And sometimes we treat it exclusively like a verb. Mm. And sometimes I think as a noun, it's important to understand like who you really are as a manager, as opposed to always figuring out how you're supposed to be managing. Mm. Um, and so I, that I would magically help people realize that they need to spend just as much time defining themselves as they do conducting themselves. Mm. How do you get started in the social impact space? Uh, by mistake. So I actually um, got, a, I was offered into a free uh, volunteer, um, uh, one of the first CVA courses, um, mm. uh, certified volunteer administration at my university because I was running their day camp program and I was complaining about these teenagers who were called volunteers who weren't doing anything. And my boss said, well, well we can put you this three course if you're willing to manage them. And I said, sure. And then ultimately I met all these other women. They were women. They're all women. They were much older than me at the time um, by at least 15 to 20 years each. And um, they all thought I was like, you know, I was like you know, 20. And so they were like, Oh, a guy, in this group, a young guy, what's going on? Um, and so ultimately, um, one of them reached out to me and said, hey, there's this AmeriCorps program looking for a director. I didn't know what AmeriCorps was. Um, and that was my first job was just, and I was just flattered because she thought I would be a good interview. So I went to the interview. I was an EMT. I've been EMT yeah. uh, full time for years. And I was planning on staying in that space. And so ultimately, I took the um, interview to be because I was flattered and I never left. Wow. That's inspiring. <laughs> What advice did your parents give that you either followed or didn't follow? <laughs> My mom said, um, don't move off camp. When I was in college, don't move off campus and don't get a full-time job. And I did both. Um, <laughs> and then I took a break before I went back and got my degree, uh, a long break, a several decade break. Um, and I regretted it ever since um, before I went back and finished it. But I, uh, yeah, um, so she was right. Um, you know, your parents sometimes will tell you things that don't sound like one thing, but they're definitely another. And she was like, don't move off campus, don't get a full-time job, you'll stop school. And I did both things and I did. Yep. Moms are usually right. (laughs) I know. I know. Uh, Last question, but usually my favorite. What advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact space? You don't, oh God, this is going to be so controversial. You don't have to be passionate. Everyone's going to tell you to be passionate. I'm going to tell you something different. You have to be smart. Mm. You actually have to be really smart. You have to think you're smart. Um, you have to think you're smart enough to be able to make a difference, not not compassionate or passionate enough to think you can, because mm-hmm. the game's changing every day. And so the truth of the matter is, um, if you're not passionate to begin with, I don't know why you would even begin doing it. That shouldn't be the the line by which you cross. You have to be smart. And if you're not smart, or you think to yourself, like, I don't know if I'm smart, then you need to get smarter if you want to mm-hmm. be in this space, period. Doesn't mean you can't do it, it just means you have to get smarter. But if you're telling yourself, I'm going to do it because I'm passionate, I'm here to tell you, 
it, that's not how the real world works, unfortunately. You have to have passion as a component, but it can't be the driver. The driver has to be a certain form of intelligence and wanting to get smarter. Mm. Um, you have to want to be a um, advocate for your own social sciences. You can't just want to solve a problem. You have to understand the problem that is being solved and then understand the solutions that solve the problem in the first place. That's an intelligence issue. And that should be the very first thing that's everything's led with. Um, otherwise, if you just want to feel good, you know what? Go scoop ice cream. <laughs> and on that note, that ends our <laughs> That's the whole whale, I tell you. <laughs> um, you know, no one ever frowns at an ice cream cone, right? You're so if you just so want to right. feel good, go scoop ice cream. It's like yeah. the, there's no... No one, no, there may be crying kids that don't get the flavor they want, but for the most part, no. So if you're just like, I just want to make people feel good. And I know that's what we're all trying to say, but yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you so much. This Thank was you a so blast. Much, I love Whole Whale. This was so much fun. Where can people find you? Um, I'm everywhere. They can find me, Ben Bisbee. Um, they can find me LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I'm the kind of guy that I don't care where you find me and want to friend me. Um, so like you can friend me or find me anywhere and I'm going to say, okay, for the most part, I don't feel like anything's private when it comes to my social spaces. Mm -hmm. um, you may not like what you see um, when it comes to, <laughs> you know, my opinions on things, but if you haven't had a taste of that already, but ultimately you can find me anywhere. And then um, I, you know, am the co-author of the Unashamed Guide to Virtual Management, which you can find where all books are sold online. Um, and so if you're looking for that, you can go to Amazon or where have you and um, pick up a copy it's a great way if you are a manager today or in the future managing folks virtually it covers 80 plus topics like what to do everything from the benign and boring like mm -hmm. you know um, how to deal with daily management issues and meetings and and um, you know dealing with uh, issues surrounding people's uh, work protocols to things like how to deal with people who are taking meetings on the toilet and how to deal with folks who die on the job virtually and how to deal with inner office romance virtually we really cover everything for real. We went deep with this and broad and wide. And so we cover every topic and sort of tell you how to deal with it in a really tactful way from a couple of angles and how to politicize it. That's mm. probably the wrong way, word, but how to look at things from the perspective of how to build future policies governing those things. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's a fun, so that's a fun way to find me too. If you don't want to, have to hear me anymore, you can just read me. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Ben, for coming on Thank the show. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us. As always, thanks to gregthomasmusic.org. And if you have a question about or statement about this podcast or others, send us a note. Wholewhale.com slash podcast has a way for you to leave us a recorded message. Thanks.